Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. Filibuster is an interesting word. Uh, Its current use refers to uh, a person in Congress who blocks the proceedings when something is about to happen that they don't want to happen. Uh, It started, it's interesting, it started as a word uh, for pirates who boarded ships and stole what isn't, wasn't theirs. The word started out as freebooter, uh, referring to the loot stolen by a pirate. In the 1850s, it began to be used uh, as the word filibuster. It morphed into that word, and it referred to people from the U.S. who went down to Central and South America to encourage revolutions. Now, I, I don't know why. I didn't stop to research why they encouraged that, but I'm sure it was something that helped their cause in their mind. In the 1890s, filibuster was first used uh, as the word for senators who used the tactic of talking for a long time to block the proceedings. In other words, they were pirates raiding Congress for their own political gain. Now, I bring this up. We're in a message series about family. I bring this up because filibusters happen in family life. There there are filibusters. We don't call them that. But something needs to be done. There's somewhere to go. And someone decides to pull a filibuster. I think it's a good word for that. I really think it describes it well. Just when you need... The others in the family to cooperate, they don't. And it's a move that has the same impact as pirates and revolutions and raiders. We're going to stare at the stain this morning a little bit at the beginning because it's our trouble. I don't know about you, but when I get a stain on my shirt, and I look in the mirror, I'm like, I don't really want to look at that. I try, I try not to, but I, I tend my eyes drawn toward it. If we're going to do something about the stain, we have to look at it. So it's our trouble also that draws us toward God. It's, it's our trouble that leads us to him. And so we're going to look at the major challenge to the best relationships This morning at the outset, Uh, there's a root of family filibusters, and honestly, filibusters in every arena, every circle we're in, and we need God's help to deal with it. We we need his help, so we're going to uncover the root in a moment, but I want to show some of the arsenal that we use for family filibusters. They block the progress toward the family being all it can be. Here's, Here's just a few. Caustic words and attitudes, attitudes and words. Uh, Bad attitudes and words that put others down. These cause the gears of family life to grind to a halt and create a major resistance to cooperation. The big sulk is another one. Uh, Younger kids do this for sure. I had mastered the big sulk when I was a kid. Uh, Teenagers do it, and adults use it. I I remember one time my my mom was talking about 
her relationship with my dad. And uh, my dad was 93 when he passed away. My mom was 89. They lived with us for, well, my dad for three and a half years, my mom for five years. It was, gave me an opportunity to have some conversations, uh, which were great. But I, uh, somehow this came up that one weekend she got her feelings hurt by my dad, and she decided, here, here was her strategy, I'm going to sulk all weekend long, and he's gonna, it's going to get his attention, and he's going to deal with the problem. She said the whole weekend went by, and he never noticed. <laughs> and so, you know what? She said, eh, not going to try that again. That doesn't work. There's no, nothing there. Anyway, the big sulk. We use it to sort of get attention and to get people to do what we want. Sarcasm. Another filibuster. One way we try to steer the boat the way we want it to go is to use sarcasm to make other people feel stupid who are trying to get us to do or go where they want us to go and we don't want to go there. The problem with sarcasm is it it breeds confusion, not cooperation. It, 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 it's confusing. And especially young, younger children, they don't, they don't know how to handle that. They're not sure you're being sarcastic. And then tantrums. Adults may not throw an all-out tantrum, but they blow up in anger to avoid something they, they don't want to do. A family filibuster is a move to get the family to do what I want or not to do what I don't want to do. We also experience filibusters at work, among friends in the church. Uh, the way we, you know, family is the basic building block of the way we relate. And um, the way we relate there tends to spill over into the other circles, good or bad. The root of a family filibuster, or any filibuster really, is something we have to get past in order to have the best relationships. Proverbs is a book in the first half of the the Bible, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. It was written by Solomon, a king of Israel, who was inspired by God to write short, pithy sayings that show us how life really works. So he wrote a bunch of these. It's very helpful to read. There's, there's 31 of them, 31 Proverbs, and if you read one a day, it kind of goes by the months with 31 days. You read one a day, and they're, they're really helpful. But Proverbs 22.15 shows us the root of filibusters. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly in this passage is a Hebrew word, eveleth, that's the transliteration, eveleth, I-V-V-E-L-E-T-H. And it literally means stubborn selfishness. That's the root of a filibuster. That's, that's what we're dealing with. Here's an example that you might see on really any, any playground or play area. It's a video that I'd like to show you called Toddler Carjacking. Carjacking. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-oh. It's good to have up in. Now that that's probably familiar to you, that kind of thing. Maybe not that. You know, he's not happy with his his toddler tyke, whatever it is, car with his name on it. He wants the other guys. He wants it too. He's he, and and what ends up happening is this this event, this self centeredness, causes damage in our in our relationships. Tremendous amount of damage. Um, it's a cute video. But self-centeredness gets ugly very fast in relationships. Our families shape us in a powerful way, hopefully in a good way for the most part. In this series, we're looking at the ideal values and habits of relating that should spill over into all our relationships, start in the family and spill over. Before we can move to the ideal, we have to get real with where we're at. So... That's why we're pausing here to look at the real. No family is perfect because no person is perfect. They are more or less ideal. And a question that we're trying to answer in this series is, how can I help my family be more ideal? It's not going to be perfect, but how, how can I help it move toward the ideal? Family filibuster patterns that go unchecked build habits in us and do damage over time, and that's, that's a problem. Here's the damage done uh, by family filibusters. Uh, first, brings the house down. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly, that's a veleth, that's that word we're looking at, self-centeredness, stubborn self-centeredness, folly with her own hands tears it down. The Bible's blueprint warns against folly, eveleth, that tears the house down. Stubborn self-centeredness shows up in caustic attitudes and words that turn into actions that really hurt people. In contrast, Christ followers are commanded to build up with others with our words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. Now, I don't know about you, but I need help with this. If everything that comes out of my mouth is going to build up and not tear down, I need God's help. And we're going to look at where that comes from in a few moments. A second way family filibusters damage is that words are not heard. Proverbs 16.22, good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools... Is folly. Develop. It's it's selfish instruction. You know, you find yourself in situations and you're 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 dealing you're doling out instruction because you just want other people to do what you want them to do. And over time, uh, this instruction is people begin to plug their ears. It's just like wah, 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 like the Charlie Brown adults, you know, on the Charlie Brown. It's like wah, 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 wah. I know you're coming from a place where you're just trying to get me what you want 
want me to do. And so I'm just not going to listen. The instruction of fools is the opposite of good sense. Good sense is a fountain of life. But people, including kids, stop listening to the guidance that grows out of self-interest. More damage done is that stubborn selfishness rips individuals apart. Proverbs 17, 12. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Interesting, isn't it? If you come across a she-bear on a hike who thinks you're threatening her cubs, you are going to get ripped apart, possibly literally ripped apart. They have some powerful claws. Sarcasm tends to do this. There are other ways we do this, this folly, this uh, foolish tendency that we have. Um, it actually grows out of laziness. There, there are. You can also trace... Um, through the scriptures, you can trace different names for fool. We have one word for fool in English. There are actually nine different words for fool in Hebrew. If you take those words and trace them out, you actually can come up with profiles of different kinds of fool in the scripture. And this word for fool in this passage is uh, a Hebrew word that refers to a lazy liar. They're, they're lazy. And sarcasm is, it grows out of laziness. Because it, it's basically a lazy man's way to make a point. That's what it is. It's, it's so much easier to make a sarcastic remark than it is to actually think through how to have a helpful conversation about what you're concerned over. With our kids, it's confusing. It doesn't train them. We're commanded to train the folly out of the kids. But if we use sarcasm, it's, it's confusing to them. They don't know what we're saying. In marriages, it fosters animosity, and it's the same in work or other arenas. If you use sarcasm, nobody benefits. It throws up a wall between the person using it and the person hearing it, so understanding is thwarted. Finally, selfishness leads to ruin. Proverbs 19.3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. God, God isn't to blame for our folly. He wants to help us grow out of it. In the Bible, he uncovers the root of our problems, the things we're struggling with, so that we will turn to him and seek his help to grow away from them. And he's given us a tremendous amount of help. What we need to grow away from folly is we, we need a change of heart. We need a new heart. We need help with this. God shows us how to work through family filibusters in his word. He set the example for us in the way he related to Israel, uh, whom he called his children. He, he basically chose Abraham, grew a nation from his offspring, and then worked with that nation in the hopes that the rest of the world might see God's kindness and goodness and be drawn to him. That's not, that's not what happened, but that's, that was his goal. The prophet Hosea 
is a man God used to preach to the nation of Israel between 755 and 715 B.C. What would happen with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, is they would, they would wander off. They would, they, would be, uh, they, they would walk with God for a while, and then they would, you know, things would be going well, so they would wander away, and then trouble would turn their heart back to him. And this kept happening over and over again. So God would send a prophet to speak to them and try to draw them back to him. But the book of Hosea is an amazing picture of God's patience with his people in spite of their rebellion. It's, it's, it reflects on the way he relates to us as well. Here's God's own description of the way he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Hosea 11.4, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. Notice he, he says, I led my people with cords of kindness and bands of love. And I'd like to, I have a, a little wagon over here I'm going to pull out. So he... He led people with, with a cord. He pulls people along. This is the way God is. He leads us with a cord. You, you can't push. You just can't push with a cord. Now, you, you can push with this handle right here. And I've tried it. When I had one of these when I was younger, I tried to you know push it backwards really fast. It's a lot harder to steer. But God has chosen, now he could lead us in many, many different ways, couldn't he? I mean, he has the power. He has the authority to do whatever he wants with the people he's made. But he leads us with accord. He doesn't push us. His kindness pulls us along. This is the way God is. Out of kindness, God shows us. And in this passage, he's trying to show us how to influence others. Don't push. Pull them along with cords of kindness. This is what God does. He, he leads us with cords of kindness. If, if you consistently show kindness to your family out of love for them, you create an atmosphere, you, you at least give the opportunity for others around you to want to cooperate. And over time, things can be different. The same is true at work, among friends, here in church life. Here's a passage that Paul, who was an apostle, he start, started many churches in the first century, Here's a passage written by Paul to an early church in Rome that underscores this, this principle. Romans 2, 3 through 4. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us there. It's the cord that God uses 
along with his forbearance and patience, to pull us into a relationship with him. The selfishness that family filibusters grow out of creates a judgmental atmosphere. That's what you see in this passage here. We, we have no right. We have no legitimate right to judge anyone else, e- even the family. Now, we need to evaluate what's going on and decide how we're going to read and respond to the situations, but not judge, which means to put down, to think less of another person than God has made them to be. We seek God and ask for his help, and he showers his kindness on us. And then that changes our heart, and we can share that with others. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, along with his forbearance and patience. What, what a lesson for us. At, at, their, at their core, the best relationships grow from mutual acts of kindness. This is what we need to train our kids to do. Families aren't ideal. No person is ideal. But this is the goal, to move toward the ideal of everyday kindnesses. Kindness is an interesting word that was used here in this Romans 2 passage. It, it was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word has, it talks about goodness. Kindness is, is, is goodness. It's like goodness, but it's goodness that expresses itself in action. So you see something that someone needs, and you take action to meet that need. That's kindness. So here's how we grow in kindness. It's a relay. We experience the kindness of God. Now, to, to know God, you, you, what Scripture says, the picture in Scripture is that you're walking your own way, that all of us are walking our own way, rebelling against God, going our own way. And to know God, it means that we have to turn from going our own way and decide to go God's way. Now, once we do that, we don't do it perfectly, but that word right there, that turn, that 180, is the word for repentance. It's a change of mind and heart where we decide to live the way God wants us to live. He, when we turn, when we turn toward God, we experience his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, his love. He leads us with bands of love as well. That word for love means unfailing love. God has unfailing love for those who turn to him and repent. And we experience that. And so it's a relay. We turn to God. We experience his kindness And then we share that kindness with others. We pour it out to others. If we want the best relationships, we must grow in a walk with God. We must know God. We must come to know him. We must turn around and experience his kindness. And then we must grow an understanding of him, his truths, and begin to share those things with others, the kindness and love of God with those around us. We, we can't control anyone else. We have to focus on our part. We, we go first. As we follow Christ, we go first. 
I'd like to show you something called the pillars of life that uncovers what's most important in uh, our, our life and, and in parenting and in all, all re- really relationships. Um, our children are born, and we begin to help them develop in, in the areas that are going to support the weight of a life. So here's the picture here of, of a building. And uh, they're, they're, they're born, and life is represented by the roof uh, of the structure. As parents, our role is to get our kids prepared uh, for their roles, responsibilities, and relationships of adulthood. So we begin to focus on helping them grow in different ar- arenas, in different ways, In a sense, we help them build the pillars that support the weight of their life. This is what we're doing. And we do this as well. I mean, at a certain point, we we click over and we're responsible for the way we build our life. We're responsible for the pillars that we construct and where we're going to focus. At first, when the kids are small, we pay attention to their physical adult. Uh, development. This is one of the pillars. Then when they go to school, we begin to focus on their mental development. As time goes by, we want to help them grow socially, so we focus on that. Social experience and the ups and downs of all of it turns our focus to emotional growth. And we want them to grow to be healthy and happy emotionally. There is one pillar at the center. Now, have you ever seen a, a, a building that sort of sags because it doesn't have enough support in the center? That, that's, that's what tends to happen in, in our lives. The one pillar at the center is the spiritual pillar. It's something we tend to ignore in our culture, but it determines what a person becomes, how he bears the weight of life the weight of trouble, how he handles life. Faith in God who guides us in life is the lost core in our culture to a truly significant and meaningful life. The overlooked pillar in our culture is spiritual development. We overlook it in the lives of our kids. We overlook it in our own life. But it's the spirit of a person that determines how we deal with life. Proverbs 18:14 says, "A healthy spirit conquers adversity." But what can you do when the spirit is crushed? God's kindness strengthens, fortifies our spirit. It strengthens us in our spirit. It encourages us to do what he wants us to do, and it gives us what we need to do what he wants us to do. God himself shows us how to grow in kindness ourselves and how to lead our kids. This is the kindness of God. We, we need God's help out of kindness. He helps us to deal with the wrong desires. They're all mixed in. He gives us new desires. He changes our heart. But between now and the day we die, if you decide to follow Christ, if you turn from going your own way and go God's way, he, between now and the day you die, you're still going to have a mixed bag of desires. 
They're not all going to be good. He gives us new desires through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. But we have to choose to cooperate with him to grow the right things in us. We need God's help. The best thing we can do to help our family be all it can be is to develop our own spiritual life, our own walk with God, our own connection with him, to know him and to grow in our walk with him. That should be our number one priority. And then, as we grow in it, we help our kids with it. We're looking at God's ideal so we can become more ideal. We, we will never have a perfect family, uh, but we can help it become more ideal. Uh, the Bible teaches that the family is the building block of society, and it is. The foundation of our community in any and every form is family, whether it's, you know, there's our family, our neighborhoods, the people we live around, uh, the people at work we relate to, our friends uh, here in church life. It all grows out of the way we learn to relate in families. The values for family life are supposed to shape the rest of our relational words. The same habits that we're developing, the same ways of relating prescribed for families spill over. Because here's what happens. Wherever we go, there we are. <laughs> this is a, a universal principle. <laughs> you, you, you live in your family circle. When you go out of the cir- same circle, or out of that circle, and you're in other places, work, friends, church, there you are. You relate the same way. As I wrap up, that, that's, the, that's the way it is. As I wrap up, I want to encourage you to take a next step today. If you would, find the connection card that's in your program or that you started hopefully filling out earlier. And uh, there are some next steps related to the message uh, on, on the left-hand side of the back of that card. And I encourage you to take one of these next steps. There, there are two on the, the box on the left. My next step today is to identify, identify ways I'm causing family filibusters and ask God to help me change. Turn him, just repent of it. This is, this is the pattern that we, we live. We, we identify, God shows us something we're doing that's causing damage or causing problems. And we repent of it. And as soon as we repent, the only thing we need to do is admit our wrong. When we admit our wrong, God forgives. That's called confession. So we confess and repent of the things we're doing to cause damage and ask God to help us change. And then another step would be to make attending worship at Church of Valley a priority to grow my spiritual dimension. We we just dig into the Word every week. We look at what God says, and that's an opportunity to grow in that. On the right-hand side of the connection card, in a box on the right-hand side, there are some options that say, contact me about. 
And one of those first options is meeting up with someone to clarify my commitment to Christ. We, we really want to help you know how to connect with God, how, how to understand what you need to understand, get your questions answered so that you can turn and go God's way. We want to help with that. If you'd like to meet up with somebody to do that, that'd be great. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the way that you really love us. And as we turn to you, we experience your kindness, your forbearance, and your patience every time. You mean that to lead us to repent and change our mind, change our heart to be more like you, God. Help us to do this as we step out this week in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.